Well, following Lord's Day 35, we hope to consider together the second commandment, particularly as you can find it in Exodus chapter 20. And we could compare it to Deuteronomy chapter 5, where we find that second giving of the Ten Commandments. But there's no real significant difference between the record of the second commandment in either place. We've seen together the first commandment and the sin of idolatry. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, in verse 3 of Exodus chapter 20. Then, verse 4, the second commandment, which is distinct from the first, though very intimately related. Thou shalt not make unto thee any grave image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name, or <clears throat> excuse me, then we would begin the third commandment. The heart of this commandment is really the jealousy of God. Notice how the commandment itself emphasizes that. We're told he is the only God that we are to have, and then if he is the God you have, you worship him his way. And let's be clear. This isn't just saying you can worship God any little old way you want as long as you don't make a molten image. This is saying, because this is how people worshiped gods then, you worship God his way not your way, or the way of anyone else. You could say that the fact it's a molten image is circumstantial, is evident, a picture of all the ways the peoples of the world worshipped their gods then. In fact, the commandment itself explains that how you worship here is directly connected to who you worship. Or to put it another way, the first and the second commandments, though distinct, are inseparable. Notice the language. In verse 5, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. These images, which we know, these people took to be their gods. As we read in Exodus 34, verse 14. For thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. And then moving down to 17. Thou shalt make thee no molten gods. And throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and the Psalms, their gods are dumb. They can't, hear, they can't speak. They can't hear. They can't see. They can't stand up on their own. You have to hammer them up in a cart so they don't fall over. The idol is the God, because there really are none others. And God clearly, as we follow the second commandment, then is jealous. I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. And because he is jealous of his right worship, he will visit iniquity. And he will bring blessing. The long and short of it is we worship God as he commands, not the way we would want. And we worship God as he commands because he is jealous. And Lord willing, we'll see this is not to be despised. 
This is not to make God look petty. Hopefully, as the Spirit would work, we would see the fact God is jealous of us as something beautiful, as something amazing, as something humbling, and something so encouraging, and something that will cause us perhaps to think very deeply and very scripturally about how we worship and why we worship the way we do. But if I may be quite direct, but if you are not direct, if if you are not gripped by the jealousy of God, how you worship won't really matter. You may have the way you like to worship. You may have traditions you like to keep. You may have other ways of approaching God you think are good. But unless you're gripped by his holy jealousy and you see you need to worship his way, you're not going to really find the motivation you need to search the scriptures. You'll judge how to worship based on what you want or what other people are doing or what you find comfortable or, God forbid, what you find reverent rather than what God says is reverent. Well, the jealousy of the Lord, our God, to reason, to worship, as he commands. Well, with this blessed reason given in the second commandment, there's a couple presuppositions or a couple things that are assumed about this command. And we might say we need to assume, firstly, the context of the fact God has called us to worship him. That's what we see very clearly in Exodus chapter 20. After all, boys and girls, who are the ones being called to worship here? Is it the Egyptians? Is it the Canaanites? Is it the Hittites? Is it, as we read in chapter 34, those nations being called in judgment? No, this is Israel. God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. These are his people. He has saved and have a special relationship to him. Those are the ones who are to have him as their God and none others, the first commandment. And they are to worship him his way and no other way because he is jealous over them. Notice it assumes, or it assumes firstly, presupposes a special relationship with God. And congregation, every one of us here today has a special relationship with God. He has called us here to worship him. He has commanded us to come. Boys and girls, why are you here to worship God? Are you here because your mom and dad go to church here? Are you here because you wanted to see your friends? Are you here because you know this is the right thing to do? Or did you come to worship the Lord your God because you have a special relationship to him? Did you come because he commanded you to honor him, and he is jealous and desirous of your attention, love, and honor. That's why we should come to church. There's nothing wrong with enjoying your friends while you're at church. There's nothing wrong with coming along if your parents are the way you get here. But you need to come here to worship the Lord your God. Every one of us here, is at least outwardly set apart. God has claims upon us. But child of God, how so much more for you? When you approach God, not just outwardly, but that you come to him as his child, 
as one who knows him from a saving work of regeneration, of deliverance, has made you righteous in his son and calls you to show forth your love and your obedience in worshiping him. That's not just an obligation. That should be a delight. You are expressing your love to him by coming to worship as he has so powerfully lavished his love upon you. It presupposes a pre-existing relationship. One at least externally we all have here. And by the grace of God, one that is truly saving and would it be in the Lord's timing and the Lord's work for all of us here. But it not only presupposes the reason is connected with that blessed relationship, but notice it's also connected to the first commandment. The first commandment. Might seem obvious, but the first commandment comes first. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. No other gods, not Ashtaroth, not Baal, not your bank account balance, not your own ingenuity, not your own rights, none of it. None of it. God comes first. And if God is not first, how could you honor his jealousy? If God is not first, what difference would it make if you went through the motions of worship? Sad to say, a lot of people do. It's very sad, isn't it? Imagine that. You go to a church your whole life from when you're a child, and you know all the songs you sing. You know all the Bible stories. You know all the right things to do. Maybe you're the first to tell other people when they come to church, they better figure it out, and they better do it this way, and they better follow all these rules and regulations and all these customs that we have, or else. Because this is the way. But you don't love the Lord. There's no desire for him in your heart. What a folly it would be to worship the right way according to you. But you don't have the right relationship with God yourself. That jealousy God has. That desire God has. In that case, as we'll see further will turn to cursing, wrath, and the visiting of iniquity and trouble upon you. It will be a horrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God who is jealous. It is not only given in the context of that special relationship, but it is given in the context of that commandment that comes before it. This commandment presupposes that relationship and that first commandment. But note how significant this reason is that we worship God as he commands. It's so significant, firstly, because it's part of his very being and identity. Verse 14 of Exodus 34, Thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. That's where people will say, well, that's the first commandment, not the second. But in Exodus chapter 20, it is the second. And it is in the context not only of the first, but it is the context of how that firstness is expressed in worship. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. 
For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Or to point out like we already saw in verse 17 of Exodus 34, the first and the second can't be separated because those images were their gods. Thou shalt make thee no molten image. And because God is jealous, that should be significant to you in how you worship. Is it? Is it? What are the reasons you think we should worship the way we do? Because we're conservative. Because we don't have people jumping up and down. Because it's not man-centered. Because it's reverent. Because it's comfortable. Because it's traditional. Because it's a preservation of a different type of culture we have inherited. Ultimately, apart from the jealousy of God, that's all hogwash. We worship God as he commands because he's jealous. Any of our own reasons don't matter. Our worshiping of him has to be about him. Not about us. It has to be about him. There's nothing wrong with our reverent with our cult, with our worship being reverent. There's nothing wrong with our worship being traditional. There's nothing wrong with our, our worship hearkening back to an older and better understanding of culture and practice. But all those things mean nothing if they are not based upon God, his truth, and his blessed jealousy. We shouldn't start asking the questions of what will get people through the door in our worship? We shouldn't start asking the question, well, what do we think communicates reverence in worship? We should start asking the question, what is God jealous of in our worship? Or to put it to you another way, because this amounts to the same thing. How is God commanded we worship him? That must be where we begin. After all, boys and girls, that's why I'm not dressed in a priestly garment. That's why we don't have any altars. That's why there's a God as he commands. If we went back to the pages of the Old Testament and says, let us redo the worship of Moses, we would not be obeying God. After all, the Lord Jesus told the woman at the well, you will not worship the Lord here or in this mount. You will worship God in spirit and in truth. You will worship God in light of who Jesus is and what he has done. Not in light of all those things that he would do, but in light of what he has done. You see the significance of this reason and the fact he is jealous and that he himself gives us that as that foundational reason for how we are to worship. But also we can see the significance of this reason, secondly, in the rightness of his jealousy. It is right he is jealous. All too often for you and for me, it's wrong when we're jealous. And I should make it clear, we're not talking about the word envious here, per se, or covetous. 
It's not like God is the way we are. When we see someone has a toy or a book or an experience or a situation, we want them. We say, oh, I really wish I could have that. Often something we have no right to, something we're not entitled to, just something we greatly desire. We, 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 we envy that. We think, oh, it would be great to have that. We covet that. We think, oh, I wish that was mine. God has a right to our worship. He has a right to our worship. He has made us. He has placed us in a special relationship with him. He has called us to worship him as our God, having none others. And thus it is right he is jealous for two reasons. Number one, because we belong to him. We belong to him. Exodus 20 says that. He would give the firstborn to buy them, to deliver them from the power of his just curse. That is ultimately our Lord Jesus Christ and those who are savingly in a true relationship with him. They belong to him. They're his. Our culture has gotten so wicked where we have things like what they call open marriage, where a man can share his wife with another man, or a woman can share her husband with another woman, and we think that is enlightened. We think that is good. When it's wrong. This person, the Bible says, when you're married, belongs to me. Their body belongs to me. You belong to each other. You're each other's property. It's wrong for somebody to take your property. It's long for someone to delight in what you alone are to delight in. That's why you look at things like pornography and masturbation and so much other immorality that runs rampant. Those feelings, those desires in marriage are meant for the other person, not for you and not for someone else. There's a proper jealousy there. And that seems good and right. Even outwardly, those things used to be recognized as true. As a man would protect his wife, guard her, and as the woman desired and honored her husband and no other man. We would say in that sense, they're jealous. It's not envious. It's not covetous. It's jealous because, firstly, they belong to them. They belong to them. But secondly, and more importantly, because God is worthy of it. If God didn't get jealous, he wouldn't be God. God has made us. God has redeemed us. It is only fitting that we must honor him. If God didn't care about himself and his own work, we'd think that was foolish. Don't men take pride in their labor, so to speak? Aren't they jealous of what they do? So much more God with us and so much more God with himself. If God wasn't jealous over us, he would be denying himself. If God said, oh yes, it's okay for you to worship me any way you want. Just like you can worship any God you want. He wouldn't be God. He is worthy of the honor. He is worthy of the glory and none other. And if he is the only one, it is his prerogative to say how he must be worshipped. Notice how, again, the first commandment, second commandment go together. 
And they stand united in God's very nature. And it is right that he is jealous. And if he wasn't, he would be an idolater. And isn't that a beautiful thing? God is no idolater. So out of his jealousy for his name, he won't let us be idolaters either. He's no idolater. So out of jealousy for himself, his own name and his own work, he won't, us, won't let us be idolaters either. That must be strikingly significant to us when it comes to worship and why we worship the way we do as he commands. But I hope you see there's not only these presuppositions behind this commandment, there's not only a powerful significance for us and how we keep this commandment, but isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful? God is God. All-powerful can do anything. But at the same time, he is the one that is always there, willing to save us, who gave his son to redeem us. Notice the language. God spake all these words saying, I am the Lord, Jehovah, the I am, who doesn't change and keeps his promises. Thy God, the one who is all powerful and will direct thee and keep thee and govern thy life for good. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. No one else tells you how to live. No one else tells you how to think. No one else is in charge of you. I am. I am. You belong to me. And thus thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. Don't treat them like their God. You treat me like I'm God. I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God. And that should be beautiful. Doesn't it delight your heart that God is God? Doesn't it delight your heart that the Lord is the one who is governing you? Doesn't it delight your heart that you're not God? What a marvelous test that can be. The marvelous test that can be in our relationship with the Lord. Not only if we know him or not, but if we're walking in his ways. Where we will surrender and say, yes, Lord, thou art God. And anytime Israel was called back to repentance from sin, isn't it striking how that is often the pulse and the heartbeat to the very idea of who their God is and his relationship with them? Joshua calls the people and says, What? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When it comes to Baal and the contest with the prophets, what does Elijah say? If Baal is God, serve him. If the Lord is God, serve him. And what do the people say when they see who the true God is and the true worship of God? The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. There's a lot of comfort in that. A lot of hope in that. A lot of strength in that. And it is the exact opposite of what we do by nature. It's the exact opposite of what we think. It's the exact opposite of how we feel. And it's the exact opposite of what we did in the Garden of Eden. God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
God says, I am the one that decides good and evil for you. I am the Lord your God. And Adam and us all in him said, no, I will decide what's good and evil for me. I will be like God. I will be my own God. I will not have thee to be my God. And thus I will. And child of God, as you've been humbled, as you've been convicted, as you've been as you've been made to confess you are Jacob, like we heard this morning, and seen the faithfulness and sovereignty of God all the way through in your life, though you are not worthy of it. And you realize, though you hold upon your thigh and you're weaker than you were before, you're stronger than ever because you have the Lord your God who has called you, made you, and is leading you. There's a beauty in that. It's not a beauty of the world. It's not a beauty of the world. The beauty of a woman submitting to a man? (gasps) That's not beauty, that's ugly. That's oppression, that's horrible. For a husband to sacrifice himself for his wife? Oh, that's foolish, that's oppressive, that doesn't make any sense. Marriage should be a two-way street. You figure out how to help each other. For him to, to give all those things well. He doesn't have to be limited to one woman. He could have another woman as long as it's a consenting relationship. Come on, let's be mature adults. It's all lies. And if we were honest and we were to see it with transformed eyes and hearts gripped by his jealousy, we would see his design as what it is, beautiful. As a man empties himself and empties himself and sacrifices himself and puts up with thing after thing after thing for the beauty, spiritual integrity, and health of his wife. We look at that with grace transformed eyes. We think that's beautiful. When children obey their parents, when parents discipline their children faithfully, and you see a family regulated by biblical principle. They're happy and they delight in one another. I'm always struck by the statistic that those who are married and faithful in the physical relationship that is marriage, they find a lot more satisfaction than those people who are just looking for one night stands or don't have a committed, safe relationship. There's beauty in jealousy because that's the way it should be with God and with his people. You ever think about that? That has to fuel your worship. That has to fuel your worship. Has to get past tradition. Has to get past custom. Has to do with what you think or what will work or what will be practical. But say, what does God want? And further, why? Because though we won't take the time to see it now in this message, the why is always Christ. Always Christ. And if that sounds strange to you, and you're still putting your foot down and saying, no, nobody can really know how to worship. It doesn't matter. We can't really know. Read the book of Hebrews. And don't say, well, nobody can ever really know. Because God has the second commandment here for a reason. He didn't just say this so people could say, yeah, that's what he says, but nobody can know. We're in this relationship with him. He calls us to do this because he's jealous. 
And he never tells us to seek him in vain. And if nobody can know that's what it is, then you might as well substitute the word of God for the word of man. In fact, it's even far worse than that. You're saying there is no word of God and there is only the word of man. And if we ever do that, then let us not kid ourselves about our religion then. Then it has nothing to do with truth. It has to do with how I feel. And then we might as well just be the leftist liberals that supposedly so many of us stand against. Because we must be built on the word of God. We must see his zeal for himself and his jealousy for us that led to the coming of his son to deliver us from our sins and we should be moved to worship his way. Gripped by the marvel of what he has done. The beauty of redemption. You might even say that glorious expression of jealousy. Where God says, I won't leave you over to yourself. I won't leave you over to the devil. You are mine. Oh, it's gorgeous. The beauty of his jealousy. But what are the results of his jealousy? That's where the second commandment shines through beautifully again. Thou shalt now bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. That's the first thing and the results of this jealousy. Then secondly, in showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Let's take them one at a time. They're very simple. They're very simple. If you will not be gripped by God's jealousy and you will not worship him as he has said, what will come? What will come? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Notice firstly, if you're not gripped by God's jealousy, how does he look at it? Boys and girls, does God say you're indifferent to him? Does God say, well, you're just not understanding him? What does God say when you are not moved by his jealousy to worship him as he commands? What does he say? You hate me. You hate me. Well, maybe you think, oh, that doesn't make sense. Maybe we just worship God wrongly because... We're ignorant. Isn't that okay? No. No. He's your God. He's given you commands. He expects you to follow him. You belong to him. You are to pay attention to what he tells you to do. That was the problem in Exodus 34. Do you remember how many times the Ten Commandments were given? Twice. Remember what happened when Moses came down and saw the people's sins? Smashed them. So they're given again. And God gives his worship. God says, if you won't worship me my way, 
If my jealousy means nothing to you, you hate me. You hate me. You can't ignore that. Nor can you come up and say, well, you know, how about this way of worshiping? This way is really good too. I think this way is good, so I'll bring God this way. God doesn't look at that and say, oh, good try. God doesn't look at it and say, oh, I know your heart's in it. God looks at it and says, you are doing this out of hatred to me. Why would God, why does God think of it that way? He thinks of it that way because of his jealousy, which like we already saw is not only right, but hopefully beautiful. And if we're honest about our relationships, this is the way our relationships work too. How would you feel about a husband or a wife who couldn't be bothered, who couldn't be bothered to figure out what his husband, what what his wife or what her husband wanted? I'll just give you what I want. How does that make the other person feel? You don't respect me. You don't cherish me. You can't spend any time on me at all. You must hate me. That's how we feel. Let's do it the other way around. I can't be bothered to find out enough about you to figure out what it is you actually desire. Oh, I know. I'll give you what I want. I'll bring you what I want. Who does that gift for? It's for you. Not for the person you're giving it. So many examples of this in marriage abound. Knew a woman was in a stressful relationship with her husband. They hadn't been married long. They weren't that old either. But she already had a bad back. But what does he give her? It's a gift that he thought for sure would be so great. He gives her a set of cast iron pans. She was heartbroken. She was in tears. She's like, you know I have a bad back. You know I'm trying to do my best to prepare the food you like. Why would you give me this? This is what you wanted, not, not, what, not, not, not what I wanted. Give you another example. Dr. Joey Piper likes to use in relationship to the second commandment. He says there's a man who really loves his wife, wants to give her a great gift. He's really excited. He buys her a dog. Comes home with this beautiful dog. It's already well-trained, gorgeous dog. She comes and brings him the dog. But she doesn't like dogs. She's allergic to dogs. Does that show love? You didn't give any thought to me. You don't value me. You don't treasure me. Feels like you hate me. Now God here, when he speaks of jealousy, when he speaks of hatred, is talking not about all the internal mechanics of his immutable, timeless being, but helps us understand his principles, his standards, what is right according to him. And when we don't worship him out of a right acknowledgement and out of a marvelous awe of his jealousy, to him we hate him. And that's really not all that different than the same principles we find in our own relationships. Thus, it's only right 
he visits the iniquity of the fathers unto the sons. Now the Lord makes it clear. He's not saying, aha, you did this wrong, so I'm going to punish you. And you did that wrong, so I'm going to punish you. And you did that wrong, so I'm going to punish you. Each sin will, each sinner will die for his own sins. But notice how if one generation embraces a sin, it is often passed down. By the grace of God, those things can be changed, but sins and habits of sins, to use the language of the New Testament, the deeds of the flesh and the patterns of behavior, we not only teach our children, but model our children. I hope we all understand how foolish and downright stupid it is to say, do as I do, or rather do as I say, but not as I do. You couldn't find a more broken method of parenting. Children do what we say by the grace of God, and they should do what we do as we follow the grace of God. But if we forsake right worship, things will not last. That's what the sin of Jeroboam was all about, like we've considered previously. And notice, though, by the grace of God, it's only three or four generations Think of what it could be. Maybe you can plot yourself in that course of generations as how the Lord has taken you and brought you out of false teaching or brought you out of a less faithful way to a more faithful way when God could have just let you go. But notice it's not only visiting iniquity unto the third and fourth generation, but notice as we would seek to follow the Lord and recognizing his jealousy, showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. And that's just like what the Lord Jesus said, as he is the living illustration of God's jealousy for us, as he is the perfect worshiper of his father that none of us have been. What does he command us to do? If you love me, keep my commandments. He doesn't say, if you love me, ignore it, because nobody can really know what I command. He expects us to be gripped by his love, gripped by his jealousy, and pour ourselves over into him and his word. We had a really great discussion in the sermon discussion. How do you hold on to God? How do you hold on to God the way Jacob did? How do you keep wrestling? How do you obtain the blessing? And we talked about it in the context of what do you need to do to not let go? You need to talk to God in prayer. That's often how wrestling is described. But also you need to search the word of God. To search the word of God. And to put it quite simply, you need to talk to God and God needs to talk to you. That's how any relationship works, isn't it? Even when you're so in tune with each other, you don't have to say anything. Or even if you're so in tune with each other, you complete each other's sentences and thoughts. What happens in marriages when you quit talking to them and they quit talking to you? When you quit listening to them and they quit listening to you? It's the opposite of holding on. It's letting go. It's letting go. Let us hold on to God even as we are gripped by his jealousy. 
and the beauty of him and his work, let us strive to be faithful in worship and embrace the blessings that will come as we raise our children in his fear and worship rightly, not only here, but in family worship and in private worship. So we would know God's blessings to thousands. And boys and girls, this isn't thousands of people. This is thousands of generations showing mercy unto thousands of generations of them that love me and keep my commandments. This world is, I think, somewhere over 6,000 years old. I know I'd be laughed to scorn for some, but I hope not among us. And some people have done the math and they wonder if we even reached a thousand generations. And notice how God has still kept his church and grown his church as she has gone from one small group of people in the Middle East, from Abraham, called out of Ur of the Chaldees, to Israel, God's people, called out of Egypt. Now to the very ends of the earth, we cover the globe as the power of the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost and she continued to spread. What a blessing. I hope the results of this reason would be enough to motivate us. I hope the beauty of this reason by the grace of God would motivate us. I hope the significance of this reason would motivate us and the presuppositions that undergird this reason would motivate us, but that we, by the grace of God, would seek to obey him because he is jealous. As we understand how marvelous and how glorious that is. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, our Heavenly Father, forgive us for not rightly esteeming thy jealousy. For it is right, it is good, and it is beautiful. But rather, Lord, out of thy jealousy, drive us, move us, call us, draw us to thee through thy word through prayer, so that we would simply not worship out of custom or tradition or preference or the wisdom of men, but that we would worship according to the word, out of thankfulness for Jesus Christ, according to thy blessed design, not only in creation, but also in redemption. Heavenly Father, we pray this and we ask it in Jesus' name alone. Amen.